Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody today here in the building. And of course, those of you joining by live stream. Gosh, a lot has happened uh, to me. All pretty much good since the last time I, I saw you. Uh, the best grandson in the history of grandsons has been born. So if that was something you were shooting for, just start working on second place. Uh, but yeah, yeah our, our little Walt came into the world and uh, he seems quite energetic and uh, and, and my daughter and her husband are not sleeping, and I don't know why I find that kind of appealing. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. But uh, yeah, so we're doing good on that front, and uh, I'm a papa, and, and Karen is a, is a nana until Walt formally, officially decides. Because doesn't the grandchild ultimately decide that, at least for the grandfather, I think grandmas might still dictate that. But uh, hey, if you see Nana today, wish her happy birthday. It's, it's her birthday, uh, my wife Karen, but just call her Nana, okay? And uh, also, uh, as you know, I've been on a little bit of voice rest here for a bit. I, I had an appointment this past Wednesday, and uh, I had a hemorrhagic polyp. I just like saying that. I'm so proud of myself every time I get that word out. But um, uh, it's completely gone. It, it is no evidence of it at all. So Thank you for your prayers, very much praising the Lord and, and, and excited about that. I tell you, there's just so much fun and so much good going on. Why do you say we vote for a president? You know, doesn't that just seem like the next really fun thing and exciting thing to, to do right now? Oh, oh my gosh, I, I, I tell you what, we are going to elect a president here in a little over a week and we're going to elect the one that obviously has profoundly convinced us that, that he or she is the lesser of two evils. Have you heard that phrase this time around? <laughs> My goodness. I don't, you know, doesn't it seem like, and, and I'm, I guess I'm talking to those of you that have at least voted two or three times, but, you know, if this is like your eighth, ninth, tenth go around, uh, doesn't it seem like we're in a different place than we've ever been before in, in, in history, in elections? And, you know, I think, I think in some ways we are. I think probably in some other ways, surprisingly, we're not in a new place. But, uh, you know, I think where we are kind of in a new place has nothing to do with the candidates. I think this feels really different a, a lot because of social media. Now, social media is not new. That, that was at the last election and the one before that and the one before that. But I, I think what's happened now is, is we've seen such a significant number, maybe that tipping point, we've seen such a significant number of, of Americans engaged in social media. And, and not only have we gotten engaged in it, but we've all gotten pretty good, haven't we, at sharing our thoughts and ideas? sharing our feelings on what we think about life and what all of our friends should do. And, and, and so as that has really grown to maybe a new place, uh, what we've seen, I think, in this election, what Americans are looking at, what, what Christians are looking at, is more than ever before, we know what our friends, we know what they're voting, why they're voting, and, and, and we have discovered that our friends are idiots, haven't we? Have, have you done it? I, I shouldn't put that up there. Don't, don't check into the heights right now and put our friends are idiots, okay? Don't, don't, don't put that on Facebook. That's not what we think. But you know, if you, if you think about it, I mean, this kind of, I don't say this a lot. I think there's something to be said for the good old days. Are any of you in here, do you remember coming out of, you didn't tell people who you were voting for. You know what I'm talking about? You just polite company didn't talk about that. 
I mean, you might have hinted, and, and obviously you had some friends you were pretty sure thought the same way you did, but, but now, see, we know what all of our friends are doing, what everybody's doing, and it's just kind of hard. To, how can they not see what I see? How can they not prioritize what I prioritize? And, and now, so now we're seeing all these, well, I don't usually, but yes, you do. Well, I don't usually unfriend. Yes, you do. (laughs) But but so much of it begins that way. And I I think it's created more division than than I think a lot of us have felt before. I tell you what, I've seen more pastors and and Christian leaders uh, endorsing candidates than, than I ever remember. I mean, I don't even know what would be a second place. I mean, they're, they're coming out in droves and endorsing. And, and what I see, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I disagree with this, but what I see in so many leaders, what I see in so many of us, is if you don't see things the way I see it, you might not be a Christian. You know, I mean, I am seeing so much, again, social media, but, uh, but, but hearing it, reading it, that, that, that we're actually uh, kind of critiquing each other's walk with God and, and whether we can even be believers if we don't approach this and see this th- the same way I do. And I'll be honest with you, I don't get it why some of you don't prioritize things the way I do or look at this as the way. I mean, that's real. I don't, I don't get why some of you... But that doesn't make you an unbeliever. That doesn't make you less than me. It just means you're a, well, I won't, I won't quit. I will, we won't quit. We'll quit saying that, okay? We'll just quit saying that. You know, I think another thing that makes this feel very different, now I'm not, a, I'm not a, an expert on presidential elections, but I'm pretty sure this is the first election where we have two candidates, and we have more than two. I know you don't need to send me who the other one is or two, but we have two candidates that both have an unfavorability rating higher than 50%. I, I don't think that's ever happened. I, I mean, one of them's going to have to win, but they're sure going to be hated, aren't they? And you think about that, whoever is the next president of the United States is going to be hated before they take the oath of office. And more than likely, there's nothing he or she will do that will change that. I mean, good luck leading in that environment. But, I mean, yeah, we, we do. We have two candidates that we don't, like now here's where i think we're maybe not in such a new place you you know the big change in america is we're not polite about our immorality now we used to be polite in our in our immorality but but that's not a change of of candidates i think sometimes when we look back to the history we kind of romanticize it and we we clean it up do you realize that five of our last 12 presidents and I'm, i'm i'm going from obama to fdr That's the last 12. Five of our last 12 presidents were adulterers. That's almost half of our presidents were unfaithful to their mate either before they went into office or while they were in office. I personally am not sure it was just five. It's just five that history clearly attests to. And, And two of the five are Ronald Reagan and JFK. I mean, those are the poster boys for their respective parties. So, folks, the next president is going to join a long line of of immoral liars, cheaters, and a host of other less than admirable qualities. Do you realize you've never cast a vote that wasn't for the lesser of two evils in your own mind? I I mean, mean, that's always the case. That's what we're choosing from. 
And, and, and so, yeah, it feels a lot different. But boy, here, here's the good news. With, with whatever we're electing, with whatever's happening, man, I, I think it's good news anyway. When you wake up, when I wake up on, on Wednesday, November 9th, I'm not going to be trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Christ faithfully under Hussein or Mussolini or Stalin, or Nero, or, or Hitler, or any other character like that in history. Because you realize, unlike you and me, tens of millions of believers never had a choice in who their leader was going to be. Tens of millions of believers reading the same Bible that you and I read, seeking to follow the same Christ that you and I follow, and they had to do it under one of those governments. And it, it was awful. It was awful trying to follow Christ under some of those governments. And that's, that's not our challenge. Now, by pointing all this out, it, it almost sounds like I'm just trying to put a big smiley face on the election and, oh, it's all going to work out, isn't it? You know, I, I, I'm not trying to suggest we're not at a very serious and urgent time. I, I actually think we are. I actually fear for the Christian faith that we might be moving toward one of those other leaders I just mentioned. I, I actually fear that. So I'm not, I'm not trying to, oh, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who's there. No, it, it matters. Now, my hope and, and my ability to put a smiley face on anything is when I wake up Wednesday morning, November 9th, Jesus is still king. He, he's still king, and nothing about the status of America changes that. Nothing about my comfort and happiness changes that. Now, I kind of I half anticipated we'd get a little bit of that for Jesus is king, right? Because we should applaud that. But you know, Jesus was king when Hitler was ruling too. J Jesus was king when, when uh, Hussein was ruling over those believers. You know, Jesus being king doesn't mean it won't cost your life. Jesus being king doesn't ultimately mean I get to, to, to be happy and comfortable and have the community I want. But Jesus is king, and that's always going to be good. Amen. And Jesus being king means I always know what to do, no matter what the government looks like. And you realize our marching orders have never changed. When we wake up on November 9th, our orders are the same as they were on November 7th. Man, when I wake up, hey, listen, I'm to pray for my government. I'm to obey my government. I, I am to be radically working at not conforming to the culture. The culture does not define or shape my sexuality, my finances, my priorities, my values. I, I, I am to not look like the culture. I am to look like my king, right? And if in seeking to look like my king, and oh gosh, it's a slow process. I don't always do a good job at it. But if in seeking to look like my king, it brings persecution or rejection or hate, then I, I take it on, right? I mean, that, that, that's the idea. A whole lot of times we as Christians know I, I want the approval and the acceptance of the culture and I absolutely will conform to avoid at all costs any kind of, of hatred or rejection or persecution. But, but that is my order. That is the directive under my king. And, and under that king, I have a hope. I have a hope in him and a hope in heaven. Man, no president changes that. No government changes that. No, no time in history changes that. And, and we believe that. I, I really do believe a lot of us. But yes, yes, of course, Jesus is our hope and I hope in heaven. But folks, as much as that is a belief for us, let's be honest. 
I bet a lot, a lot this past week we thought about heaven. I, I bet a lot, uh, uh, not a lot this past week was, was the thought of heaven what gave us the energy and the ability and the mindset to pick up and go again. To pick up and to do what is right, even if it's, if it's hard. And so we call it a hope, but it's just a hope we kind of keep on the back burner that has almost no impact. No, the directive from our king is that that's front and center. And that's guiding and shaping why we do what we do and, and, and how we live. It is our hope. It is our strength. It is our joy. Not a candidate. Not a platform. Not a party. Not a raise. Not a job. Not, not anything else. That's our hope and joy. So, so folks, this is our marching orders. They don't change no matter who's king, right? And I think one of these would, would be pretty appropriate for today, wouldn't it? And that's to pray for our, our government. If you would, turn with me to that passage. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. 1 Timothy, you'll find that well over halfway through your, your New Testament. Uh, past Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. Then you get to Timothy's. The two letters to Timothy. Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. First of all then... I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Now, now just pause. Why would we pay, pray for kings? Why would we pay for those in, in governing roles? Is, is it so that we get the taxes we want? Is it so that we get the health care we want, the highways we want, the, 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 the foreign policy that we want? Well, Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why I would pray for them. I want them to have the wisdom to do what is right and good and in all of these things. But what God gives us right here, folks, along with those things that are so natural for us to think about when we're praying, is He gives us a priority in what we pray, a, a priority of why we pray for those in authority. And it says here that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. A, a, a priority prayer for my president, my governor, my congress and my courts is that they would lead, that they would govern in such a way that I have my best opportunity and I would probably say my easiest opportunity to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Faithfully following Christ will never be easy, but I can sure hope it'll be easier, right? I mean, I mean, government can impact that. So now, you know what's interesting? If that should be a priority of my prayer, then would that not be a priority of the way I vote? That I elect a candidate, a, a, a platform, a party that I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe will give me the best opportunity, create an environment that is my best opportunity to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, this is good. This prayer that we do, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Boy, these next few words are the most precious words in the Bible. Who desires all people to be saved? Boy, man, I'm going to tell you something. If you're here today and you're one of these that's maybe grown up in a culture, in a, in a church, or maybe it's just your own musings, and, and you've grown up with the idea that, that God is angry, that he's mean, that he's a, a God of wrath and judgment, and he's looking for the opportunity to, to catch you, looking for the opportunity to get you, would you look down at your Bible and see God's voice say, I desire that you be saved? You know what? 
He is a God of judgment. And he is a God of wrath. That's what it means when it says he desires. He desires that you not experience that. He he desires that you not be the target of that judgment and of that wrath. He desires that you be saved and you become the target of his love and his mercy and his grace. And who does he desire that for? All people. He desires that for all people. Verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Can we say amen? Amen. Amen. Man, that's awesome. Now, this this passage that, that I just read is instructions for, for worship, public worship, a, a public gathering like this. As a matter of fact, Paul is writing in both of these letters, First and Second Timothy. Timothy's a young guy, he's a, a young pastor, and, and Timothy looks to Paul kind of as a seminary professor. He's a, he's a mentor, and these two letters are, are telling Timothy, here's how you shape, how you build, how you lead. This is what you do in the church. These, these two letters are a lot about how Timothy, what to do as, as a leader, as a pastor in the church there. And in this particular chapter, not just the verses I read, but, but the whole chapter, a lot of it is about how, what we do in, in worship. And, and you see right up the front there, hey, listen, a real priority of our gathering is going to be first and foremost prayer. It's prayer first in our lives. You know, you look at this, this election season, this election cycle, and we have read and we have watched and we have debated and we've posted and tweeted, maybe once or twice unfriended. <laughs> but, but have we prayed? Now, you know, I ask that rhetorically. Let me tell you what I assume the answer is. Yes. I, I assume in this room, even, even those watching us by live stream, I assume that for the most part, we are a group of people that are going to say, well, yeah, yeah, I have, I have prayed. I've prayed for myself. God, what do I do here? Give me wisdom. Give me insight on this election. Give me insight on dealing with my friends who we've already described earlier. Uh, you know, give me help. Or maybe you've prayed for the nation. God, guide us, protect us, Help us to land on the, the right candidate, Lord, please. You know, we, yeah, I've prayed. But I would say to a group of people who I trust have and are praying, I wonder if we're praying like this. Now, now what do you mean like this? You know, just these words. First of all, first of all, that, that word there, that phrase there, first of all, he, that, that is a word of priority, not enumeration. In other words, first of all is not, okay, I'm going to tell you five things. Number one. That's not what first of all means. This is a word that is saying, listen, primary above all things. The the, the priority of all things, the priority here of your gathering, the priority of your work is to pray. You know, I'll be honest with you folks, as I read that, I feel a little convicted. I feel a little convicted that I have not been a pastor and we have not been a church that, that really motivates and, and challenges and provides toward that kind of thing. Because the scripture is really super simple and clear right here. The priority of our gathering is that we are praying first and foremost. It's, it's the primary way we initiate something. It is the, the primary way we respond to something. It's, it's the primary activity of our lives. 
And, and I am, we are, our staff, man, we're, we're praying about this. We're thinking about this. You're, you're going to see a change in 2017. As a matter of fact, we, we've kind of set that as our theme for 2017 and is prayer. My, my opening sermon series for 2017 is going to be prayer. Man, you realize me preaching on prayer? I do that in fear and trepidation. Last time I did a prayer series, it almost killed me. You know, so you just know the fear I'm approaching that with. But that, that's what we've got to do. And this is what we do first. This is our priority. Man, we don't, we, don't, we don't tweet first. We pray first, right? We don't post first. We pray first. We don't unfriend first. We, we pray first. We don't vote first. We pray first. I didn't say we don't vote. I said we don't vote first. We pray first. He goes on from saying, first of all, to saying, I urge. That word urge has a sense of urgency, a sense of seriousness. Now, what I find interesting here, because we will all reach places and times in our life, won't we, where we say, man, we, we, we've got to pray. I mean, I'm to say what, folks, we just got to stop right now and pray. But you know what? You know what you don't see here? I urge you to pray because there's an election in eight days. Boy, I urge you to pray because there's a potential terrorist attack. Oh, I urge you to pray because the economy is suffering. No, there's no event. There's no issue on the table. Paul's urging isn't related to something bad happening, which I can only take to mean that good or bad, he would urge this. I am totally confident that if Paul could speak to us today in in an environment where you and I were looking at the two or three best candidates the earth had ever put forward. I mean, these are just two, three, four of the finest people on the planet. And and our economy was rocking and rolling and and we had just exactly the right and perfect health care that did what it needed to do for everyone. And, And our foreign and domestic policies were just somehow everybody, all 300 plus million people, we just all agreed on it. Did you know in that context, Paul would say, I urge, I urge you to have a sense of seriousness. I urge you to have a sense of right now in the way you pray. First of all, this is the priority. This is an urgency. And, th- and then you see, what, what do you see next when you look at your passage here? You, you see a bunch of words that all look like they have to do with prayer. You know, it's interesting. There are seven words, seven words in the New Testament that are used to refer to prayer, that are synonymous with prayer, that, that kind of thing. Seven, four of them are used in one sentence right here. Four of the seven words used for prayer. Now, my, my goal today is not to nuance each one of these words, which, by the way, is really kind of interesting because each one of those words actually does. I mean, why they can all just be referred to as prayer On another level, each one of these words is talking about something different that you might say to God in prayer. Each one of these actually kind of points to an approach to God. So they are, while they're the same, they're they're four different words. But, But what I want you to see today is just that Paul is saying, pray, 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 pray. The priority, the great sense of urgency on your best day, on your worst day, in an awesome country, in a horrible country. Pray, 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 pray. Now, when I just read that first sentence, I go, oh, wow, when I say that I pray, is that, do I, do we, do, do we as individuals, do we as a church, is that, that what we're talking about? Is that what we're saying? Oh, yeah, right there, all over that. 
That's a little bit different challenge, isn't it? And he tells us what we're to pray for or who we're to pray for. We're to pray for all people. Now, does that mean I'm to pray for all 7 billion people on the planet by name? Woo! Better get started. <laughs> Hope to cover them once, right? No, you know what? I am to pray for all the people in my life. And that's not just referring to all the people I know and touch and see day in and day out. You know, neighbors and co-workers and, and friends and family. But it's, it's all the people I tend to read all the people I tend to watch, all, all the people that influence me, all the people that I influence, all, all the people I like, and all the people I don't like. Because you think a lot about the people you don't like, right? It, it's pray for all those people. So, man, I've got to pray for all Muslims. I've got to pray for all rich people, poor people, black people, white people, Latinos, Asians, all of them. I've got to pray for liberals. I've got to pray for Democrats, Republicans, and, and, and conservatives. I've got to pray for those folks over at CNN and those folks over at Fox News. I'm not even sure I can say MSN. I can't even finish it. We pray for all. We pray for all that. And, and, and what is it that we are praying for? We are praying that they come to a knowledge of God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. We're praying that people have the opportunity to know the love and forgiveness that I've experienced, to know the hope and joy of a coming king and a heaven, to know the guidance and the help and the, the security and the love that he can be day in and day out. I am to pray for all people. that Now, if that's my prayer and if that's what I'm focused on, then watch this. It seems kind of logical then that the next thing Paul says is, you know what, you've got to pray for kings. You've got, you got to pray for, for all those people in authority. Now, all those in high authority, that can go a couple of ways. I mean, obviously, we're talking about kings and presidents and governors and congresses and, and courts. You might even be able to throw into this bosses and teachers. I mean, if you stop and think about it, people over us impact our lives, right? They influence our lives. I bet a lot of what you're praying about, good or bad, is because somebody over you did something, Right? Somebody that has the ability to make decisions, to make even, and they've created a life for you that has led you to say, dear God, please help me. I mean, a lot of time. And so it makes sense. Hey, listen, if I want a culture, if I want an environment where all people can be saved, where I can faithfully follow Christ, and in faithfully following him, I'm praying for people. I'm looking for the opportunity to witness and to speak that gospel into their lives. Then it makes sense that I pray also for the people who are going to shape the environment in which I do that, right? It's kind of a logical thing here. Now here again, and I've already referred to this, but if that's a priority of prayer, then would that not be a priority of how we vote? You know, you, you and I, I'm, I think we think about a lot of things when we go to vote. I wonder if we're thinking about, hey, which one gives me the, the best opportunity to serve my Lord? And, and to be able to do that in a, in a public way. I, I personally think that, that religious freedom is more an issue right now today than it's ever been in the history of America. I believe we are radically sliding backwards. We are radically on the path of losing our freedom. And I believe, it will be my one political statement for this morning, there is one party and there is one candidate that is super antagonistic toward religious freedom. 
I mean, you look back the last 10 years, there has been a very antagonistic party toward religious freedom. The other party? Eh. Neutral. Neutral about, I mean, I don't think I'm picking a candidate or a party that is going to secure and advance my religious freedom, but I see one that could be continually destructive toward it, and I see one that, you know, at best, they might help in that. At worst, I think they'll be mostly neutral. Am I right? Don't have a clue. Don't, don't really have a clue. I mean, the next four years will prove that, right? I think that ought to, I mean, just based on the environment that God wants us to be praying about, that ought to be hardly anything else I vote on. What difference does it make what my taxes are, what my foreign policy is, what my, what, it, listen, if, if, if I end up in, under a Stalin and a Hussein and, and I end up in an environment that is radically against my, my Christianity, all that other stuff is going to become super meaningless very quick. So we should pray. As a matter of fact, I, well, let's do this to kind of close our, our series today. Because, I mean, we're really good at church, I think, in talking about prayer, but not actually praying, right? And, and so let's take some time to pray. And, and, and what we're going to do, we're going to take more than 30 seconds here, okay? Uh, and, and you can do this pretty much however you want to. However you want to. If you want to pray alone, you can pray alone. You can pray alone at your chair. You can pray alone here at the altar. If you want to pray with others, you can do that in a group of two, three. I, you can pray with ten. I don't care. You can circle up, get in a group, and, and pray. Uh, you can pray quietly and, and alone to yourself. You can pray out loud. I, I, you're going to hear a good, a good rumble. Man, you know what? As you're listening to the rumble of prayers in here... Just think of those. It's just kind of a rumble to you and me. God hears specifically every single word. Every single word. So let's go ahead, start moving. If you want to pray up here, do that. During this time of prayer, I'm going to give you three cues. I'm going to say, okay, y'all pray about this now. Okay? The third cue is going to be to pray over the, the, the prayer list, the prayer guide inside the bulletin. So you might want to get that out and have that ready. That, that can be perforated so you can leave it in your Bible or hang it on the refrigerator. But it's kind of some things to pray about. If you or your group wants to pray something else, then by all means pray something else. That, that, that's not the limit of, of what you can pray for. But go ahead and, and get to the altar. Get on your knees. Circle up. Round up. Do whatever you need to do. And, and let's begin a time of prayer. And here's your first cue. Would you take this first minute or so and just praise the King of Kings? We're not looking for the ruler. We have the ruler. And he is righteous and he is good. So let's just take a second as we're going to pray about leaders and environments and praise and worship the king of all kings. Amen? Use this time to worship him.
as you continue to pray, would you just kind of transition now into a time of confession? You know, whenever, whenever in Scripture you see people praying for their nation, confession is always a part of that prayer. Man, we, we need to take a moment, just confess the sins of our country, confess the sins of the church. The church is not an innocent party in where America is and, and, and what is happening. And, and maybe not as much out loud, but, you know, when you're not praying or in, in a group or by yourself, let, man, we need to confess our own sins. There's not a person in this room that hasn't contributed to what is happening in America. Let's use this time to confess our sins, to seek his forgiveness and, and repentance. And now, folks, would you take a few minutes just to pray over that prayer guide and specifically for the election, for our country, and uh, the things that are a burden on your heart as it relates to the United States. Lift those things up in prayer.
Heavenly Father, hear our prayers. And I pray that our prayers are joining the prayers of thousands of other believers and thousands of other churches today, next Sunday, throughout the week that are are praying for our country, praying for this next president. God, we're more comfortable with activity, we're more comfortable with noise, but your word says, be still and know I'm God. And we worship you because you are God. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the Wonderful Counselor. You are the Everlasting Father. You are the Almighty. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the Great I Am. God, you are our joy. You are our hope. You are our life. You are our directive on this day. You are our directive on this week. You are our directive on this election. Help us to be faithful followers of Christ. Which you've so clearly shown us here means we are a people of prayer. And we are a people who care greatly about all people's salvation. All people. God, may we continue to grow as a body of believers, as a church for which and for whom this is true. God, hear our prayers. It's in the name of Jesus. It's in the character of Jesus. It's in the purposes of Jesus. It's in the likeness of Jesus that we seek to lift these words up to you. Maybe we felt like we knew what we were doing in here in this moment. Maybe we felt comfortable. Maybe we didn't. But your word tells us that what we just did pleased you. And God, we, we want to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.